the Bereans, testing to see if what I say is true. All right, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 2. We'll be reading from the ESV. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire came, appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergaia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male service and female service on those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make, no, make me full of gladness with your presence." Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not descend into the heaven, ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, 
sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what, what must we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is God's word. And let's, we're going to open our time in prayer before the choir comes. I'm going to pray, of course, for our pastor and my mother, who are out today, having a little bit of vacation, celebrating his birthday. So praise God for that. Of course, the pastor is very faithful. We rarely really see him miss, but praise God for him and his ministry and his ministry to me. Um, his word, he was just preaching on fire last week. So it's almost sad to see him go, but I'm also proud to have an opportunity to preach his word. So praise God for that. We'll continue in the things that he has taught us this week, doing a service that's an honor to the Lord as he taught us all these years. Amen. And we'll also be praying, is there any, um, any significant sicknesses or, or things that I haven't heard? Haven't heard of any major sicknesses. Okay, nobody's saying. So let's just open up in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for us being able to be gathered together, Lord, in your name. And thank you for allowing us to be able to look at this passage where the church started. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us your Holy Spirit, which we saw the first coming of your Holy Spirit in this passage that we just read. And we pray that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill our choir, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. Fill us who listen to your word with your Holy Spirit. Fill me who is speaking your word with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us, Lord, so that we can do what you have told us to do, which is to preach about you, Lord. To tell the world that you are not dead and gone, but you are still sitting at the right hand of the Father, still ruling over your church, still active. And wherever two or three is gathered together, you are in the midst, Lord. And so, Lord, we are full of faith, Lord, and understand that you are here now. And, Lord, we are accountable to you for how we behave in this place. So I pray, Lord, that we would act in a way that is honorable to you, Lord, and give honor to you. So that when you're sitting amongst us, Lord, you can say amen. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for saving us. And we pray, Lord, and thank you for our pastor, Lord, and for my mother and how faithful they've been over the years, Lord, through many different attacks and trials and all kind of things, Lord, and they've been faithful. And we thank you for the gift that he's had, Lord, and how he would just 
preaching straight fire last week, Lord. We just thank you for that, Lord, and how he encouraged our heart. We pray that we will continue to preach your word this week at the same passion, Lord. And, Lord, we pray for the choirs they come up, Lord, that they will sing with all the ability that they practice, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank God for putting a word in my mouth. Thank God for you all being here and being faithful. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 today. I love the book of Acts. In this book, and the context are kind of the same. This book is about the initiation of the church age. And Jesus had promised to send them the Spirit, and he, he said this. When they came together, they, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And what we're going to see in this passage is Luke telling us about the beginning of the church age. That's what Acts is about. It's about the beginning of the church age. It's about them being filled with the Holy Spirit and then being witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in all that surrounding area, and then to the end of the earth. Kind of reminds me, you know, there was a character from a little Disney movie. He said, to infinity and, and beyond. And that's where the gospel is going in this book. It's starting, and it's going beyond. It keeps establishing. It keeps going forward. It can't be stopped. And this story is about the spirit-filled church. It's about the beginning of the church age. So the Lord, I told him, wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem, and you will receive power. Wait in Jerusalem, and you will receive power power from the Holy Spirit. And so they waited. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. They were at church, obeying Jesus' command. They were all together in one place. Now, <laughs> I could talk about that for a while. You know, we live in a day and age where people feel that they don't need to. Go to church. Some people even think they can do it remotely. And I guess in some senses they could have been scattered about and the Holy Spirit could have found them, but that's not what Jesus told them to do. It was not technology that limited them. It was God's command that told them to come together. And so they came together. And they hear this sound from heaven. And this mighty wind rolls through the whole city, and everybody hears it. 
Later on, you can see even everybody else heard it. And then there's these, these little tongues of fire that appear to everybody, and they settle on each believer. And they're filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does this wind and fire symbolize? Well, here it is. The wind is something that is heard. The impact of the Holy Spirit is seen, but he himself cannot be seen. They heard the sound, but the place where the believers were was filled. Because the believers can feel the full presence of the Holy Spirit's coming. But the unbelievers really only heard the sound of it. And the wind symbolizes the collective empowerment of the entire church. All of us together as believers all together are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you can even feel it when you come to church. Somebody else might be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will say, man, I feel, ooh, something is inside me telling me to praise God. And what you feel is that wind, right, that impact, that extension of the power of God. But it's also a fire. The fire is seen. But it's only seen by the church. And it's individualized. It settles on each believer. It's talking about the individual gifting of the Holy Spirit, that he doesn't give us all the same thing, even though he gives a lot of us a shared thing. It talks about the power of the Holy Spirit, the ferocity of the Holy Spirit, the purity of the Holy Spirit, the destructive nature of the Holy Spirit, because fire is destructive. What is he destroying? He's destroying evil. What is he purifying? He's purifying us. Why is he ferocious? He's ferocious against the enemy. He fills us with power to do what God called us to do. And because the Holy Spirit came, they did two things. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Now you say, well, how did they prophesy? Well, we'll see prophecy through Peter. But prophesying is speaking under the influence of another spirit. Throughout the Bible, we see them speaking in the influence of the Holy Spirit. There's also people who speak under influences of other spirits. We call them false prophets. But anytime you speak under the influence of the Spirit, you prophesy. Now, after this, a crowd starts to gather. It says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. Devout men, religious people. They knew the scriptures, but they weren't saved. And they came together. They were confused. Each one of them was hearing their own language. Now, some people want to debate about this, about what the gift of tongues is and all that. And I could just say this. I'm not quite sure what the gift of tongues is. Does it mean that they spoke the specific language that the people heard? I'm not quite sure. It's in my personal view that they spoke something and people interpret and heard it in their own ears as their own language, no matter what it was. That's just mine. Other people say they spoke a language they didn't know, which is also possible. 
What I don't think they're doing is just speaking gibberish. Right? That is not what's going on. Whatever they heard and whatever was said was intelligently said because when you come to the end of the passage, they said, we hear them speaking about the wonderful things of God. And so they asked this question, how is this possible? I noticed that all these diverse people getting together, you know the world always talks about getting people together and unifying. It's only the gospel that unifies. And all these diverse people came together. I look in this room, it's white and black in here. Why is it white and black in here? It's because we're not here for cultural reasons. (laughs) We're here for the gospel. The gospel saves everybody, no matter what color they are, no matter what background they have, no matter if they had slave blood in their past or whether they were a slave owner in their past. It don't matter. God is saving folks. And they hear them saying the mighty works of God, but they're just these skeptical scoffers, these idiots, right? We can only call them idiots because how do you hear people speaking intelligent things in all these different languages and you say they're drunk? Stop. All day drunk. That'd be like me going on the south side, hearing somebody speaking Spanish and say, oh, he must be drunk. Stop. Right? That is nothing but, you know, we might call that racist in our day and age. So these people come in and say, man, maybe they're drunk. And Peter begins to preach. First thing he do is he addresses the scoffers. He's really respectful, but he says, hey, guys, these, these guys are not drunk. It's only about 9 o'clock. <laughs> We're not them kind of people. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, they all knew about the prophet Joel because, again, these are devout men. But if you know something about the prophet Joel, prophet Joel, he prophesied after the land that got destroyed. It got destroyed by these locusts that came by and ate everything. Unless you think it was an accident, Joel makes it clear it wasn't. No, this wasn't accidental destruction. It was purposeful destruction because our God is good, but he's not always safe. And he destroyed the things that the people had invested in because they put all their money in their crops. You got to understand, this is the destruction of their investment. It's a destruction of their sustenance. It created a lot of suffering. And it may be hard for us to grasp in our soft day and age, that God might cause suffering on people on purpose. But God caused suffering on these people on purpose. And Joel said, listen, people, we will never be able to reverse what God has done. Because God did it. But can you see that your food is not as important as worshiping God? Repent. Repent. Yeah, I know your investments got hit. Give an offering to the Lord. I don't got much to give. Give that. Give it to the Lord. Repent. And if you repent, then these verses follow. Joel prophesied that if they repented 
in the last days, God would pour out his spirit without respect to age or gender, right? Look what he says. Your sons and daughters, your young men and your old men, your male servants and your female servants. It doesn't matter about power. It doesn't matter about gender. It doesn't matter about age. God is just pouring out the spirit. He's just giving it to everybody, right? You know, you ever seen them Oprah episodes? You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. He's just giving everybody the Holy Spirit, right? Everybody getting it. And after they receive the Holy Spirit, they will prophesy. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, you might miss this, but Peter is going to hammer on two main points in this passage. The first part is how the Holy Spirit was poured out. The second part is whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what is Peter's main point? Peter's main point is first, this is not drunkenness. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy. You're seeing scripture come alive before your very eyes. But then he kind of leads them on and he leads this last verse in there and he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The next question is, who is the Lord? So he says, Jesus of Nazareth, attested by God. First, Jesus was endorsed by God. How was he endorsed by God? He did miracles that you yourself saw. Here's the other witness. You. You saw the miracles. And this Jesus, delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You did it. You killed him. But it was God's plan. And God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by let me, it may seem to us, how did he get to Jesus when he's talking about the poor of the Holy Spirit? But he's getting there, right? He's getting there. Because remember, again, he's stressing his part, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Where did the Holy Spirit come from is the next question, right? Where did the Holy Spirit come from? What Lord are we calling on? And he says, David prophesied about this. Now, the Jews misinterpreted the scripture, and I did too. In fact, as I was studying this for a while, I had to take my wife aside and say, hey, do, do you see what Peter is saying here? And she was like, you're right. I was like, oh, my goodness, this clicked for me for the first time, preparing for this sermon. We can interpret the scripture that he quotes from David as David saying these things. And Peter says, it's not David that's speaking. It's Jesus that's speaking. He says, this quotes Jesus. And so when you look at verse 25, if, now, you know, I want to do a Kenner version of the Bible. And in the Kenner version of the Bible, the words of the Father would be in blue. 
and the words of the Spirit will be green, and the words of the Son will be red, right? We like them red-letter Bibles. That's how I would do a Bible, okay? And, and if I was doing a Bible, this, this part would be red, okay? So it will make it clear. Who is talking right here? It's Jesus. Jesus says, I saw the Lord always before me. Who else can say that? For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. At my right hand? What is he talking about? Where did Jesus go when he ascended? Oh my goodness. Is this talking about the ascension? Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. What is he talking about? His death, his resurrection. Or let your holy one, that's me, that's my perfect life, right? That's what Jesus is saying. This is my perfect life. See corruption. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Who is speaking in this? Peter says this is Jesus. That is a shocking revelation. And that is also a prophetic revelation. Because we wouldn't have known that if the Holy Spirit had not have told us. And we wouldn't have known it if Peter didn't tell us. And so we have to almost go back to the psalm and say, wait a second. Everything I thought is flipped upside down. I thought this was David. I thought David was saying, okay, because you won't let your Holy One see corruption, I could have hope that I will have hope in the last days. That's what I thought. Peter says, no, brother, no. No, fellas, this is Jesus speaking. And to add to that, he makes the argument, he says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. He saw corruption. So he was not the Holy One. And being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So who is talking? It's got to be Jesus, because it doesn't say your soul, it says my soul. Who is speaking in this psalm? It's Jesus. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. I seen it, Peter said. I ate fish with him, Jesus, Peter said. I was running away from Jesus. Thomas right behind me touched the wounds. We all witnesses. We see him. We just got done talking with him the other day. And we saw him float up into heaven. We saw it. We all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. What is the very first verse that he quoted from David? I, he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Being on the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Father promised him the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Everything that you're seeing is Jesus receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he told us the Holy Spirit would come, and now he has come. 
not David who ascended to the heavens, but Jesus. David even said himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put these people down. That's what he said. I'm going to make your enemies your footstool. What is he saying? I'm going to roll out the red carpet of your enemies. Oh, yeah, they're going to be laying down. Let me take care of them for you. So let all Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Lord, he's the boss. Christ, he's the Messiah you said you were looking for. That's him. I want us to understand this, that every part of Jesus' ministry saves. Every part. His eternal preexistence, his ability to, his creation, he created the world. That gives us our purpose. That gives us our purpose. If you properly preach creation, people can be saved to understand that they themselves now have a purpose. You know, this world tells you you don't got no purpose. You hear by accident. Jesus says, no. I created you. In the womb, I formed you. His incarnation. Jesus became a baby. And we look at the Christmas story, but that can save. Because we understand that Jesus became man. He put on flesh for us. He understands what we're going through because he himself is also a human being. It's not was. He is still human at the right hand of God. His life, it talks about. He says he called himself the Holy One. He lived a holy life that we couldn't live. That itself saves because we understand that Jesus lived a life of holiness for our sake. His holiness became my holiness. His death became our payment. His resurrection became our hope. His ascension became our victory. His seating at the right hand of God became his lordship, and his return means his judgment. And we could be saved by all of that. And hearing this, the crowd asks a good question. Brothers, what shall we do? Now, you got to understand that question. It's a good question, but it is a hopeless question. Because they know that they killed the Lord. From their perspective, he's gone and he done left them because he's done with them. And you may say, well, God would not do that, but... You ain't paying attention to the Old Testament because God left them before. Mm-hmm. Look at the prophet Ezekiel, which we're going to start meditating through on Wednesdays. And in the prophet Ezekiel, God gets up and leaves the temple. He's like, I'm gone. I'm out of here. You ain't going to be faithful to me? Stop. I'm your husband, but I can only put up with so much. He tells a few stories that there's too many kids in here to tell in the book of Ezekiel about the unfaithfulness of God's people. Because he get detailed with it. 
It was graphic. It's NC-17. I mean, we laughing, but we laughing because it's true, right? And in God's word, he explains, I left. Now, he also promised that he would come back. But they had no understanding of when he would come back, and truth be told, he still really hadn't. And here they looked at his son, and they treated him the same way, and they're saying to themselves, oh, my goodness, he left too. He left us too. Look how we treated him. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says, obey the scripture. What did I just preach to you? What did I just preach? Call on the name of the Lord. What did he say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He hasn't left. He hasn't left us. He left us a promise, guys. And the Holy Spirit coming down is to show that He's not left us our orphans. We are not orphans. He has given us His presence. So repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, I got to stress, and I know it seems like it's my pet project, but it's the word that says this. The church. What does it mean to be baptized? It means to be a member of the church. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent. You was wrong. Admit you was wrong. Confess your sins to the Lord. Your life was the wrong direction. But if you admit you were wrong, the Lord is gracious enough to take us back. He is pointing to the prophet Hosea. What happened in the prophet Hosea? The prophet Hosea married a woman who was unfaithful to him. He divorced that woman because he even named one of his children, not my child. Afterwards, she got so down and out that she had to sell herself to support herself. To the point that eventually she became almost a slave and he bought her from the slave market. He cleaned her up. He put her back in his house. He said, you be faithful to me just like I'm faithful to you. And they live heavily ever after. That's a story about us. We don't deserve God's love. We were unfaithful to him. We went and did our own thing. We had children that was not his child. But God wasn't arrogant. He could have went another direction. But he said, no. I saw you in the slave market. And I bought you with my blood. I took you back in my house. I put a ring back on your finger. You probably sold that ring to the pawn shop. I bought you a second ring. I took you in my house. I forgave you. I love you. I didn't think about all the other dirt you did. I put that in a sea of forgetfulness. And now I love you forevermore. So you be faithful to me. He said, this promise is for you and for all the children and all who are called off. It don't matter who you are. 
No matter what you did. It don't matter your history, your origin, don't matter. If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And with many other words, he said, save yourself from this crooked generation. I heard that. I thought, this is, ain't nothing but a story about today. This crooked generation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. But that's the power of preaching Scripture. That's the power of preaching Scripture. He's just preaching what Joel already preached. He's preaching what David already preached. He's not making it up. He's not trying to impact the audience with his own power. See, when you preach the scripture, you don't have to worry about all that. See, the, preach, the scripture preaches Jesus. I don't have to make it up. It's in there. I don't have to project my own power. This word radiates power. I don't have to try to make it sound deep. The word is deep. I don't have to make it wise. The word is wise. People make fun of the word, say it's been around a thousand years. It's not around a thousand years because it's old. It's around a thousand years because it's timeless. It's enduring. If you said the truth a thousand years ago, it don't have to change. It's not like a computer. Computers need updates because they got errors. God's word is perfect. It don't need no updates. It don't need no new versions. It don't need no new additions. It just need to be preached and believed. So when I hear God's word, preach God's word. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. What they devote themselves to? Teaching and fellowship. It's a shame. Some people hear the word, they out of service, two minutes flat. <clears throat> fellowship is important. Fellowship is important because we think we know God's word until we interact with our brothers and sisters. Many of you, we've been talking, and we've been talking about this, and I was talking with Brother Strange about this. This idea that we could preach a lesson that we can't live. I could preach a lesson I can't live. It is not until I interact with you and you see that I'm also sinful that you understand that I'm not perfect. You understand that what I preach I cannot necessarily do. But with your partnership, maybe we can accomplish something. Talking to Brother Lawrence today. Brother Lawrence is like, no, I think you're wrong about something, brother. I'm like, thank God for you, brother. Thank God for you, brother. If it wasn't for you encouraging me, maybe I would get too big on myself. It is not till we fellowship that we understand we're not quite as big as we think we are. We need each other for humility's sake, for love's sake. We think we love one another until somebody make a mistake. Then we out the door. <laughs> Prove that you love one another by being faithful to fellowship. Yeah. Yeah. He said breaking of bread. That's communion. 
People come to communion. I be sad sometimes when I see some of the faces during communion. Some people never take communion. That bothers me. That's not what the early church did. Other people just take communion willy-nilly. They're not a member of the church. They're not doing nothing. They just, ah, I'll just do it. And they forget the oaths that God done talked about about communion. God ain't playing with you, people. So don't play with God, please, for your own sake. When we know communion is coming up, we only do it once a month. Some churches do it every week, and that's good. But in our church, we do it once a month. We don't want to get too tired of it, okay? That was our goal. We said we don't want people to be just doing it out of habit. We want them to do it. And come to church special and say, this is a communion Sunday. So that we could get ourselves right. So when you come in on the first Sunday of the month, you say to yourself, do I have something against my brother and sister and fix it? Am I planning to sin and stop? Did I do wrong? Now I confess it. Now, some churches do that every Sunday because they want you to do that every week. I don't want it to be something that you just think is routine. Yeah. Yeah. Now, all came upon every soul because all is the heart of worship. And many wonders were done. And all who believed had things in common. It wasn't that they were socialist people, that they were sharing. That's what that means. They were sharing. They wasn't on the socialist party stop. I hear all kinds of people say, oh, you know, this is God's word, and this says social. No, stop. That's not what we're seeing. They weren't distributing each equally. They were distributing each according to their need. And then they praised God. They attended worship. They fellowship. They ate, and they hosted people. And then they grew. They grew. And what are we seeing in verse 42 through 47? What we see is a healthy church. Now, after this, if you go into chapter 3, which continues into chapter 4, Peter and John witness, and they show the great power of God in the temple. And the gospel spreads, and they get the first taste of persecution. But it all continues from this church. When they taste persecution, what do they do? They go back to the church, and it's the church that prays for them. Ultimately, I chose this passage. I was thinking, man, how could I empower and encourage our church? But God was like, our power is linked to Christ's work. Just talk about Jesus. Also, we'll note that the Holy Spirit's coming came on Pentecost just the same as the giving of the law followed the Passover. It's amazing. But God was making a point. Just as the Passover talked about Jesus, and then God wrote the law down on tablets of stone, Jesus' death and resurrection happened, and 50 days later, because that's what Pentecost means, it means 50, 50 days later, God wrote his law down, on human hearts. So I want to encourage you. Don't mock the work of the Holy Spirit like these fools did in chapter 2. Thinking it was drunk. What people often do is they want to mock the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't do it. 
I want to encourage you. Repent and be baptized. Be part of this church. I want you to be encouraged that God keeps his promises. That the Old Testament is not the Odd Testament. It's a testament that preaches Christ. Devote yourself to the teaching, to fellowship, to communion, to prayer. Devote yourself to those things. Those are worthy to devote yourselves to. Give. I'm not saying that because I make money from the church. I make a little bit of money from the church. Amen. But I'm telling you that because even I give. And the reason that I give is because God blessed me when I give. You be blessed and you give. Now, if you make a whole, this is what I would encourage you to do. Let's say we had a millionaire coming to church. I would not encourage him to give all his money to this church. I wouldn't. Because that would take away the need for the rest of us to be faithful. Everybody wants somebody to win a lottery and get the money so they ain't got to give. Stop. You be faithful, and then if you, if you get blessed too much, guess what? Give it to other organizations. Give it to other people. Let them grow. Let the word grow. Support the word. I'm not trying to get rich off the gospel. Heaven forbid that happened with me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not trying to get judged for being like that. Stop. But I want God's word to grow. I want you to be blessed. I want you to beware the teachings that go against what we learn in chapter 2. One is that the Holy Spirit is chaotic. You got people falling out. I noticed that people doing the same dances they were doing on Saturday night, they be doing on Sunday. Stop. Mm-hmm. Twerking, all kind of stuff. Stop. That ain't the Holy Spirit's dance. Don't be doing it. I want you to beware people who talk about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for selfish reasons. They only want to be empowered so they can sing a solo. They only want to be empowered so they can do this. They can do that. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And then I want you to beware that some people go to the other extreme, right? Some people, they talk about all this power, but not about Christ. Other people talk about all this rationality, but where is the Holy Spirit at? It always scared me. Some pastors, they be having a whole script up here. And I'll be like, what if the Holy Spirit moved you to say something else? Well, he won't. <laughs> I want you to fear God through this passage. If you don't call on the name of the Lord, you won't be saved. They were religious at the beginning of this chapter, but they were not saved. I want you to note that while 3,000 souls were saved, there were more than 3,000 souls in the city of Jerusalem. I want you to understand that preaching is necessary for spiritual life. It's necessary. They were confused. They would not have understood what the Pentecost coming was if Peter didn't preach God's word. I want you to understand that even though the crowd heard great things about God, they still needed the preaching of God's word that pointed them to Christ. And being filled with the Holy Spirit makes us point to Christ. I want you to put some things into practice. Number one is go to church. But number two is let your acts proclaim who Jesus is. Let your mouth proclaim who Jesus is. Devote yourself to the word of God. Read your Bible every day. Do as much as you can. Devote yourself to fellowship. Have the believers over. Host somebody. Have somebody over for dinner. Invite somebody to coffee. And give. And I want you to have a proper perspective that the church is empowered by the ministry of Jesus to preach Jesus. 
But the last thing I want to do is I want you to point and point our attention back to Jesus. The Holy Spirit came because of Jesus' lordship. It is because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God that he sent us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, of course, is a person, not a force. I want you to understand that Jesus' death saves us. But his ascension empowers us. Because every aspect of his ministry both saves and empowers us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth, Lord. I pray that you just bless us. Help us to devote ourselves to the teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Help us to feel all, all by all you've done for us, Lord. All we can do sometimes is just be thankful and say, thank you, Lord. You've done, done so much for me, and I didn't deserve it. Thank you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for empowering us and letting us have a good service today. So we say all these things in your name. Amen. Test, test, test.